Welcome to the Studies in Proverbs podcast, produced by HeartCry Missionary Society. This is taken from a video series you can find on our website, heartcrymissionary.com. HeartCry is a missionary society founded by Paul Washer. The goal of our ministry is to glorify God and bring the greatest possible good to humankind through the preaching of the gospel and the establishment of biblical churches throughout the world. Visit heartcrymissionary.com to view our other productions and to find out more about HeartCry Missionary Society. Welcome back to our study in the book of Proverbs. Today we're in chapter 3, and we're going to read from 27 through 35, and then we're going to concentrate on verses 33, 34, and 35. So let's read verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back, and tomorrow I will give it, when you have it with you. Do not devise harm against your neighbor while he lives securely beside you. Do not contend with a man without cause, if he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence, and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious are an abomination to the Lord, but he is intimate with the upright. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Though he scoffs at the scoffers, yet he will give grace to the afflicted. The wise will inherit honor, but fools fools display dishonor. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, these young people who are listening to these videos, oh dear God, raise them up to be, be, Lord, a believing and faithful and godly and useful generation of men and women in this dark and oftentimes very twisted world. O Lord, use them to advance your kingdom, to spread the gospel to all the nations, keep them from the evil one, O Lord, that they be light in the midst of darkness, a purifying salt, that they be able to give a defense, Lord, a biblical defense of their faith. O Lord, from these young people raise up giants. O Lord, I would that they would excel beyond my generation. Please, Lord, and help us now to contribute something, Lord, to their life. As small and unlearned as we are, Lord, help us to speak your truth and help these young people to hear it. Give them wisdom to apply it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's look at verse... 33, the curse of the Lord is on the house 
of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Now, we could spend all day talking about what it means to be under a curse. Definitely means to be under God's disfavor, his disapproval, his displeasure. It is a fearful thing. It is one thing to to gain the disfavor of men, even small men. It can be a tragedy, great men, a greater tragedy. But to be disapproved of God. To be rejected by God. That is another thing entirely. If a man sins against another man, there's at least someone to mediate. But who can mediate for those who sin against God? Only God himself through his son, Jesus Christ. So to begin our study, let me say this. If you have not done so, if you are not sure of your place before God, then run to the mediator now. Run to Jesus Christ. Flee from your sin and believe that what he lived and what he died that all of it, his resurrection, his exaltation, it is sufficient to put away all your sins and to clothe you with righteousness before God and to give you the signet ring of adoption. Run to Christ. Now, the curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked. The wicked are those who go astray. They are those who in their actions deviate from God's word in their heart. They have no love for God. There is no faithfulness toward him. Now, at best, they are without God's help. And at worst, God is actively engaged in fighting against them. Now, now think about that for a moment. Um, the more and more I understand the reality of this life and the more and more I understand something of my own weakness, I would be terrified to think that God was not my helper. I would be terrified to think that, that there was not a sovereign God who was working on my behalf to protect, to sustain, to teach, what would it be like then for those who have no such comfort? What would it be like for those who not only do not have the comfort of God being on their side, but to actually know that God is against them? Now, there are many people today who are opposed to God. They're hostile to his character. They're disobedient to his will. And not only that, they mock him and say they have no need of God. But they only do so because their conscience has been seared. They only do so because they have come to the point where they are the typical biblical fool. I want you to think about this for a moment. God is the creator and sustainer of life. If you breathe, it's because he gives you breath. If you think, it's because he gives you thought. If your heart beats, it's because he makes it do so. So do you really want to enter into a situation, a circumstance in which God is not only not 
for you, but that God is against you. Now, before we go on, I want you to think about, I want us just to turn for just a moment to the book of Romans. I want us to go to Romans chapter 8. And I want you to look at one of the most important passages for the believer, especially for the believer who is struggling. Look in chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Now we can turn that around, can't we? If God is against us, then who can be for us? Because the Bible clearly teaches that no one can withstand God. No one can fight against him. And those who do will come to ruin. But for the believer in Christ, if God is for us, who is against us? But how do we know that God is for us? Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? If God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were sinners, he gave his son. He was for us even before we were reconciled to him. And he proved that he was for us by giving us his son. How much more now that we're believing in his son, that we have been washed by the blood of his son, that our sins have been atoned for. How much more now is God for us? Verse 33 who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. You know, uh, many saints have said, you know, my best thought, my de best deed, my best day would only condemn me. And that's true. Each day there is enough in us to bring condemnation. But here it says, who will bring a charge against God's elect? No one can bring a charge against those who have believed in the Son. Why? Because it's God who justified them through the Son. Justified means that because Jesus lived a perfect life for us and Jesus died a sufficient death for us, that those who believe in Jesus stand before God legally righteous. God legally declares us to be right with him. The matter is settled at the cross. So who can bring a charge against us? No one. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. The devil comes into the room, even, let's say, for illustration's sake, into the very throne room of God to accuse you and to condemn you. But Christ rises up and says, there is no condemnation because I died under that condemnation on their behalf. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. He not only died for us, but he continues to pray for us and to supply to us everything that we need. Verse 35, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Who? It's almost like a boast. Paul is saying, I dare you come forward. Will tribulation? No. Will distress? No. Will persecution? No. Famine? No. Nakedness? No. Peril? No. Sword? No. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And therefore, in 37, he says, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. You see. Let me say it this way. 
I fail, I fail, I fail, I fail, I fail, I fail, but I conquer. How do I conquer if I'm the one who failed? Because Christ, Jesus our Lord, conquered on my behalf. I lost the war, he won it, but I'm in union with him by faith, and therefore I conquer. And therefore God is with those who believe. Verse 38, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul looks throughout the entire universe to the greatest powers and principalities and mights and dominions, to the worst circumstances, to the greatest sins. And he says nothing, nothing. I am utterly and totally convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So look at this, the cursed, the best you can say about them is they're living in this tremendous, uncertain, difficult existence without God's help. At worst, they're living in this tremendously difficult existence and God is fighting against them. But for the believer, what does it say? Cur the curse of the Lord, the curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Not just the righteous person himself or herself, but the household, those around them. And we see this throughout Scripture. How, how God blessed Lot because of Abraham. How God blessed even Laban for the sake of joke, Jacob. You see, that, that not only are the righteous blessed, but there is blessing around them. Now, that doesn't mean like these silly TV preachers that there's no trials, there's no loss, there's no trouble. But what it does mean is that God is with you and is working in the good things and the bad things for the greatest good, which is not your temporal prosperity. The greatest good is what? Conformity to Christ and eternal life. Eternal life in glory. Now, the blessed God is for them. And, and, and here's what I want you to see. And I am nothing. I mean, there's, there's, just, there's just nothing here. And, and God oftentimes does that. You, you have to see, young person, that God will take the runt of the litter. He'll take the weakest. He'll take the one that is not, not only is not, but is, is on the other side of negative. He'll take the weakest, the most sinful, the most selfish, the most, the most everything wrong and take them and make something out of their life by God's blessing, by union with Christ and the blessing that comes through that, literally everything changed in my life, everything. And over all these years of me 
half-heartedly believing and failing and so many other things, he has been faithful and has done immeasurably, unthinkably more, incomprehensibly more than what I could have ever believed. The difference is not how much talent you're born with. It's not your education. It's not um, strength of will. It's not, you know, the family you were born into. What makes all the difference is knowing Christ and the blessing that comes from that. I, I wrote here something that I've not only seen, but I, I've experienced. By God's blessing, the most fearful man becomes brave. Isn't that something? The weakest man becomes strong. The fool becomes wise. The barren becomes fruitful. And the ungifted is able to surpass the gifted by God's blessing, by God's grace. Oh, trust him, trust him, trust him, believe in him. Believe both the warning here and the promise. For those of you who are, are not in Christ, for those of you young people who you tarry, you do not believe in him, you're not following him, know this. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked. That God is either at best not helping you and at worst is fighting against you. But know this, that in Christ, God is actively engaged for your good. And he who began a good work in you will finish it. One of my favorite passages, and I have many of them, is in the book of Hebrews. Turn there for just a moment. Um, in chapter 11, verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me. He's been talking about the, these people who, who triumphed, who were redeemed, who were used of God, who entered into fellowship with God through, through their confidence in Him, through their trust in Him, their faith. And he says in verse 32, And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets. And the list could just go on and on. Even persons that we, we do not even hear about in the Old Testament. How many thousands, millions of saints could be mentioned here? And it says in 33, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword from weakness, were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And just look at that. That the difference that God can make in the weakest person's life who will know his word and believe it. And then look at this other part. You may think this is negative, but it's not. And others were tortured, not accepting their release. Isn't it amazing? You take this, this frightened, frail believer who's scared of their own shadow and yet when the enemies, when their persecutors finally arrest them and begin to torture them, somehow this frailest human being 
become stronger than all their torments. Others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, sown. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with a sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. Men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And you say, that doesn't sound too victorious to me. That doesn't sound too blessed to me. What you've got to understand is this. Is those, that first list I gave where it seemed like they had so much success. They did that by faith. But these people who suffered who were tortured, who had everything taken away from them. The amazing thing about their life and the demonstration of God's blessing is that He sustained them by His power so that they would not give up, so that they would persevere into the end and they entered into eternal glory, a glory that you and I couldn't even begin to describe. So you see, the blessing of God, His blessing, our union with Him, makes all the difference in the world. So that those of us who are nothing, we're nothing, we're worse than nothing, actually become servants of the Most High God. And not just servants, but children, sons and daughters. So know this. For those of you who are outside of Christ, know that the curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked. It's true. And those of you, no matter how frail you are, how tiny, how scared, the blessing of the Lord dwells on the righteous. What He can do with you, young person. Sometimes I just want to, I just want to, I don't know, grab young people by both sides of the head and focus their attention on me. What Christ can do with your life is is. Absolutely astounding. I'm, I'm sitting here repeating myself. Why? Because there's just no words. What he can make of your life. And I'm not talking again like those silly TV prosperity preachers. They're about as superficial as a, as a thin sheet of paper. I'm talking about transforming your character. And enabling you to be Christ-like. And enabling you to be a useful servant of God. In the midst of the most horrible trials. Alright. Well, let's go on. So, in, in chapter 3, verse 33. But he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. 34. Though he scoffs at the scoffers, yet he gives grace to the afflicted. Scoffers. Scoffers and scoffing and scorning, they're always associated with pride and arrogance. Listen to me. Mocking others, delighting in the failed attempts of others, um, hearing counsel, wise counsel from your parents and neglecting it 
scoffing at it as though you know everything already. All of that is, is an abomination to the Lord. It is a great sign of a wicked heart. But here's what you need to know. When you scoff at God's word, God scoffs at you. Now, now think about how ridiculous this is. I saw a cartoon one time. This little boy goes out on this hill in the middle of the night and there's all these glorious stars and he screams out, you know, I am significant. And then underneath it said, said the grain of sand. Who are you to scoff at God, to mock God? You're not even the wisest among men. And the wisest man is stupid before God. As I taught a few weeks ago, I think, on the glories of creation, the wisdom of God, we can't even begin to understand. As smart as some of the scientists are, and as much as they endeavor to seek out secrets about the universe, and even our own brains, they have to say we haven't even, after all this learning, we haven't even begun to understand how anything works. And the one who made it all, you would scoff at his wisdom. Now, another thing about scoffers, as you read through the Bible, you find out that it's kind of like infectious. Um, if you hang around scoffers, guess what? You're going to become a scoffer. You are. And that is a very dangerous place to be. Look what happens. Uh, we're in Proverbs. Just turn the page over. Proverbs chapter 1, back to 22 again. How long, O oh naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing and fools hate knowledge. Why do people scoff? Because when wisdom is told them, they do not want to obey it. And so they must attack it. He goes on. Verse 23, turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I'll make my words known to you because I called. Now, here's the judgment. Because I called and you refused. I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. And you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. Look at this. An utter rejection of the truth of God. Maybe there's some of you and your parents make you go to church and you just sit there on Sunday with your arms crossed and your head down showing everyone you refuse to listen because you're so smart. No, you're just showing everyone just how foolish you are. A rebellious little person who knows nothing but whose heart has become so hardened they reject what is true. Remember what it was, I think Sinclair Ferguson, I read him, what he said one time, men hate the will of God because it's not theirs. Let's go on. In verse 26 of chapter 1, I will also laugh at your calamity and I will mock when your dread comes. Look at verse 28, then they will call on me and I will not answer. They will seek me diligently but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel and they spurned all my reproof. They spurned all my correction. Do you see that? 
It's a dangerous thing to be a scoffer because you can never learn anything. You can never learn anything. And you most certainly cannot enter into a proper relationship with God. Humble yourself before it's too late, before your heart becomes too hard. Now, I just want to look at a verse here in... Uh, let, let's run over to James chapter 4, verse 10. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord and He will exalt you. Instead of scoffing at the Word of God and it leading to your ruin, you just go from bad to worse, from bad to worse. Instead of doing that, he says, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord. And how do you humble yourself in the presence of the Lord? You acknowledge that he's the Lord and he made you. That he's wise and you're not. And you listen. You listen. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Even if you've spent so far most of your life scoffing and most of your life rejecting and neglecting and hating and sitting there in church with your arms crossed and your head down all dressed in black, even though you've done all that, even now, repent. Humble yourself and He will exalt you. Look at 1 Peter. Just go over from James to 1 Peter chapter 5. Verse 5, you younger men, this also applies to younger women, likewise, be subject to your elders. Why? Because you're young. I know we live in a culture in which um, nine-year-olds are wise and 90-year-olds are imbecilic. But can you see how ridiculous that is? See, the Bible teaches that you're born into this world knowing nothing and... If you're a wise man or a wise woman, throughout all the years of your life, you begin to grow in knowledge through the study of God's Word and applying it to experiences. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, doesn't that sound reasonable? But you know what the world teaches? You're born into this world with all the knowledge, with all the wisdom, and as you get older, you become more and more foolish so that by the time you become a parent, you have nothing to say to a younger person. That has got to be one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. But it's basically what the world believes. I heard a song a while back, Let the Little Children Lead Us. Really? Where? Where? It says, You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another. You can tell, I guess, I have a blue long-sleeved polo on. I've clothed myself in it, and I have a pair of blue jeans on. Immediately when I walk in the room, you see what I have on. Well, immediately when you walk in a room, someone should see your humility. You clothe yourself in humility. And why? Why would you do that? Well, just if you're a rational human being, you would want to do that, wouldn't you? Especially being young. You don't know the answers. You don't even know the questions. You haven't experienced life, but more importantly, you haven't grown in the Word. So you, you only have reasons to be humble. 
and you have no reason at all to be proud. But also, you need to clothe yourself in humility because God is opposed to the proud. Remember? God's cursing, God's curse is on the wicked. And he opposes the proud. And, and never, make, never mistake this. The wicked rebel, the one who fights against the will of God, is never humble. Because they've exalted themselves against the king of glory. He's opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Gives grace to the humble. And, and then look at verse 6. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. So he scoffs at the scoffers. But he gives grace to the afflicted, to the broken, to the small, to those who declare their great need of him. And those who listen to his word and abide in his word. All right. Well, God bless you. I hope this has been helpful. We had to get a little excited. We want you to understand. This is a matter of life and death and pride. Well, I won't tell you it'll get you nowhere. It will get you somewhere. But that somewhere is quite unpleasant. Humble yourself before God and his word. And know his blessing. Well, we'll see you in the next study. Thank you for listening to the Studies in Proverbs podcast produced by HeartCry Missionary Society. Visit heartcrymissionary.com to view our other productions and to find out more about HeartCry Missionary Society.